Hello and welcome to The Crux of the Matter, the podcast by pastors for pastors. My name is Pastor Todd Peppercorn. And this is Pastor Scott Stigmeyer. Hey, Scott. How are you doing today? I'm doing just grand. Good. Very good. Uh, we are at episode 17 today, which you can find at thecruxofthematter.net slash podcast slash 17. And our topic for today, I don't know what we should actually call it, Scott. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start by calling it pastoral transparency, but uh, okay. that sort of sounds like a, uh, I, I don't know, some sort of device from the 70s in elementary school, you know, pastoral overheads. I don't know. But yeah, yeah. Or maybe it sounds like it's your particular superpower. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, uh, yeah. I can uh, run real fast. You're transparent. <laughs> yes, exactly. So pastor as invisible man, maybe. I don't know. Um, allow me to explain as we get going here. Uh, one of the things in my reading and studying and thinking about the office of the pastor that has that has always fascinated me and uh and has it really been a struggle honestly is the question of a pastoral identity and how the pastor presents himself to his congregation so in other words um most pastoral theologies if they have something on, let's say, the the life of the pastor or the pastor as the pastor as person as human being, um, in my reading, uh, most of those most of those things essentially are you could sum up in two words: don't sin. Yeah, <laughs> you know, which be good, is, yeah, be good. be good, and and that's good advice. I I will be the first to grant that, but. I think that there is a little bit more that can be that can be said about this. Um, do you think pastors kind of see themselves today the same way that they did a generation or two ago? Is this a you know have things changed in terms of our own self understanding or self identity? I don't know. I don't know if things have changed. I think that sometimes we in the confessional Lutheran branch. Um, really shy away from this subject, and because so much of it has been pop psych, you know, dominated by pop psychology. Right, right. So, I mean, and I think of the, I think of the image of the pastor, let's say from the 19th or the 20th century, like from, like maybe uh, from Bo Geertz's Hammer of God. That's right, right. 18th, 19th century, where on the one hand you have the pastor. As kind of the, um, I don't know, the spiritual Buddha of the community. Mm. He's the most educated man in the community, probably. He is he is highly respected. Um, he is kind of held held in in great almost awe on the part of people. I know that around here, at least, uh, one of the uh, one of the longtime pastors in in my district here was a man named Ph.D. Lang, L-A-N-G. Mm. Uh, he was a pastor in Palo Alto for about a generation, and um, a campus pastor at Stanford. And and I have a couple people here that were uh, members of his, and one of them was telling me this story about how when he would go to when he would do services, he would sit in his study. He would walk across the street. He would walk straight into the chancel, 
he would do the service, and then at the end of the service, he would walk straight out and go right back into his study, and he'd never talk to anybody. Oh, nice. That's... <laughs> and he did that for like 30 years. So that's, yeah. like the, that's like the introvert's dream for the pastor. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe you could get away with that in the 1950s, but uh, it's not a thing that would go over well now. No. Probably didn't go over well then. Pro- well, I don't know. I mean, and that was the funny thing about this. In this case was that uh, the person I was talking to, that her point was that's what we thought it meant to be a pastor. There was no yeah. kind of – and he was a bad guy or he was aloof no, no. or weird right. or something. That was simply what it was. Now, today I think that we are stuck between two poles. On the one hand, you've got the pastoral office and all of the functions that we perform, all of the things we do, you know, word, sacrament, preaching, visitation, evangelism, et cetera, et cetera, sick calls, funerals, weddings, baptisms, and so forth. And, and so on the one hand, we focus on those things that we do. And if I'm going to do a pastoral theology, and we've done a lot of this in this in this show too, right? We do a mm-hmm. show on baptism, on kind of who do you baptize, how do you do it, etc. And then on the other kind of the other extreme, you've got the pastor who, and I don't even know quite what to call it, Scott. The pastor who is virtually a um, a psychological exhibitionist. Okay. That that essentially. Um, lays everything bare in his in his personal life, so that when you uh, when you hear a sermon from this kind of a pastor, you're you're going to hear stories about his family, yeah, or him, uh, very personal stories, um, maybe about his own struggles with sin or with some sickness or or difficulties that he's had and how he through God's grace how he has overcome those those triumphs those problems and as the you know conservative type confessional lutheran i look at that and say well i think the theological term is ew <laughs> yeah but on the other hand if i if i look and turn turn this simply into here's my task list of the 17.5 things that i do as a pastor and i'm checking them off now i'm no longer actually a man who who bears an office now i'm just essentially a robot yeah and it becomes purely functional and i'm not human at all are, are those the two extremes? Yeah, I guess so. Um, I, I guess those are the two extremes. I mean, you don't want somebody. Uh, okay, so it, l- let me see. So on the one hand, you do have the guy who's always talking about himself, especially his personal struggles. And you mentioned even talking about his own sin, and you know that's where I would really get very, very uncomfortable. Um, but also talking about his family and you know what might be even be private material. Um, and then on the other hand, someone that is just so impersonal that, you know, yes, they are being very objectively correct, but you don't get any sense of warmth from the guy. I think, Todd, there needs to be – there can be a golden mean here. I think there can be a middle ground. I don't think you have to be all one way or all the other way. 
um, I think that you'll fall off the road either either of those directions. Now, I am sure that you had or heard much the same speech or speeches, plural, that I heard in seminary. And that was essentially when you're a new pastor and you go to a congregation, um, you need to be warm but not become friends with people, personal friends with members of the congregation. Uh, you need to be human but not people not – have, not have people kind of look at you as being uh, weak or a failure and – and so there, there was this sense of there has to be a, I don't know, a divine aloofness, maybe, mm. or mm-hmm. um, or a a professional distance, and and that is anything. Anytime I hear the word professional when it comes to the pastoral office, uh, there's one part of me that cringes. Yeah, but at the same time, there this is an office that we bear for the sake of Christ and on his behalf. And so uh, there is, uh, I mean, obviously the scriptures are quite explicit on some of the qualifications for the pastoral office. Mm -hmm. So how do I, as a pastor, determine how I present myself to my people? I don't know if I'm making any sense or not, Scott. No, no, I I totally know where you're coming from because I, I struggle with it as well to an extent and sometimes more, maybe more than others. I think probably a lot of pastors never give it any thought. They're just doing whatever it is that they do. Right. And um, and I have my own. You know, I kind of have my own approach on it. And sure. we probably we probably both do. And but w- what we're doing is shining a light on us an aspect of being a pastor that probably doesn't get consciously discussed or thought about. Well, and I had a. Uh... I had a conversation with someone a little bit earlier, which I found very enlightening and very helpful. And that was when it comes to uh, self-disclosure in connection with an office. And this could, and this could be – you could argue that this would be true for a pastor, might also be true for, for a physician or a psychologist or teacher, um, anyone who is bearing an office – you have to ask yourself the question, why am I disclosing this, this, whatever mm-hmm. this is? What yeah. is my what is my purpose or intention behind behind talking about whatever the subject is? Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, and I, and I don't want to go down this road here, but since it is exceedingly public, I can certainly say, um, why do I talk about depression occasionally? Is Do I talk about depression in order to get sympathy? Do I talk about depression in order to bring people to the gospel? Is it both? <laughs> um, and how do you make those determinations? I think is the interesting, the interesting challenge and a great challenge because at one level, people don't expect their pastor to struggle with the same things that they do. And, and that is a false dichotomy. I mean, anytime I'm preaching the law, uh, I I'm preaching to myself first, yeah, before I'm preaching to anybody else. But at the same time, I don't want my own sin or weaknesses to impede 
my ability to fulfill the office. And it certainly can do that, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I, you know, I guess I just I, – I guess I struggle to find sort of a middle way. Yeah. Be- because I think there is value. And again, I'm not even so, so much as deliberately trying to do this. I'm just trying to – forgive the cliche sound to this – just trying to be myself. Right. You know, to a certain extent, you know, I, I'm I'm just trying to be real, you know, keeping yep. it real. Yeah, and, I'm sure you are. You're and, very and, hip. And, and, but, I mean, that's just kind of how I am. You know, I mean, right. I think that I am kind of a – that kind of a person that just – I I don't – I hope I'm not a narcissist who talks about himself all the time. But I'm – for a lot of things, fairly com- – there are certain areas of my heart that I like to keep to myself. Right. And the Lord – um, and my wife and whatnot. Uh, so I don't know that I'm I'm transparent, but I might be translucent. You know, <laughs> <laughs> where you know, I'm opaque. Yeah, where, uh-huh, so that there's a little bit of I I don't know. I think there should be some. I think it's beneficial and helpful to allow not to deliberately uh, cause, but to allow your humanity to be evident. Um, I, I don't think that that means being an exhibitionist or um putting our sins on the on in the spotlight so much right. but sometimes you know listen if if there was a tragedy in your life god forbid right you know wouldn't you wouldn't that probably appear in a sermon to some extent in some way i mean uh, i i find it i would find it very difficult to imagine that, let's say, and again, I hate to even utter these words, but let's say that a close relative or my son, for instance, were to die, it would seem strange if I never referred to that in yeah. my past. Or, I would, feel. In fact, it would be bizarre. I not- think that's right. And so not to go to that extreme, and I'll, I'll give an example, and this is just what I did, and I don't know if it was right or wrong, but, right. but I, I have – talked about my brother's suicide. My brother committed suicide a long time ago. Right. And and it influenced me, it affected me, and there are times when I'm preaching, when I'm talking about the gospel, when I might bring that up. I don't do it very often, maybe once a decade, but I have. Right, right. Okay. I, I have. And in my two parishes, I have brought it up, but not trying to shock people, not trying, it just, I, that wasn't my hope or intent, but just simply to kind of well, what I did recently was because I was – it was the Good Shepherd Sunday. Sure. And I was trying to talk about – I don't know anything about shepherds. I've never met a shepherd. I don't know – you know, I don't. I know about sheep. I love them, a little mint sauce. But I don't know right. anything about shepherds, but I do know about pastors. And so I was talking about the pastor that ministered to me and my family when my brother committed suicide. You know, so I, I wasn't really trying to talk about me as much as I was trying to talk about – Illustrate the gospel, right? Exactly. Yep. So I think it can be done, and I, I didn't set out to do that. I didn't plan to do that. It's not like I put on my day planner. Okay, make sure once a month I reveal right. some secret Tell about a special Stigmeyer. story. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. I, but it was. It felt natural to me, and I think it probably felt natural to the hearers. Um, so I think it can be, I, I, and and you know, for you it might be something else. You know, right. you, whether you're talking about the f- depression, you know, and trying to kind of put a personal angle on it. I, I, I don't, I don't see that as a bad thing. It it, it will have, a, it might strike different people in different ways. Sure, 
Sure. And and I think that as pastors, we have to be we have to be conscious of how our words and our behavior is received. That sure. doesn't mean we have to be uh, we have to obsess about it. It doesn't mean we have it doesn't mean that there is a uh, kind of a nifty formula that that one can follow in order to get that answer, but I would suggest that step number 1 is you've got to be aware that there is a struggle there. If you're yeah. not aware of that, if you never think of that question, then you're going to run into problems on one end or the other. Um, and, and of course, in some cases, I mean, you're talking about your brother, or if you have, there there are certainly times when a some kind of personal or medical situation may impact your ability to serve as the yeah. pastor in well, some capacity, right, you know, right. either short-term or long-term. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have a broken leg you're going to have a hard time distributing communion mm-hmm. and you're not being a narcissist by talking about your broken leg. You're right. trying to figure out how do I actually do this? Right. Um, but there, but there is a, there is a line there and, and I do think it's, I don't know, somewhat of a moving target, but there is certainly a line that says at this point it's helpful. And at this point it becomes, uh, it becomes self-absorbed. And yeah. it and it is no longer a benefit to my hearers, to my sheep. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, we don't want vanity is a real thing. Yeah, uh, you know, vanity is a real temptation. We all like to talk about ourselves. To you know, I mean, that's just that's just fallenness. Yep. So, and and the pastor has the temptation is particularly strong because he has. A pulpit. Yeah. <laughs> he yeah. literally has a pulpit, an opportunity where he's got a large group of people or a group of people who are affixed to him and every word he says for 15 or 20 minutes. Right, right. And so I think that's a huge temptation. Having said that, I actually think that there are greater temptations in some respects for the pastor than, than in the pulpit. Mm. And that would be on Facebook. No, oh, yeah, right. You know, social media I, for right, sure. Social media. Mm-hmm. I am, uh, I am very active on social media. Um, uh, some might might say too active, and they might be right. I don't know. Um, and I have literally hundreds of pastor friends who are on social media with me, and it is fascinating to me, both looking at myself and looking at all of these all of these men that I see all over the place the level of self-disclosure or lack of self-disclosure that you have on there. Now, yeah. I'm not I'm not saying this to gossip, but simply to observe that what was once not even a possibility for self-disclosure now is a continual reality. Yeah. Not only for you, but for every member of your congregation. So if I post something about where I went to lunch, two-thirds of my congregation potentially is going to know that. Well, that is kind of a remarkable thing. Right. And that was not something that the 19th century pastor uh, was dealing with, at least not in the same way. No. Um, and so it does kind of, uh, I think that when it comes to social media, we as pastors have to be extremely circumspect 
in how we approach that in a in a public setting. Does that make Oh, completely. I think I think social media has, you know, it is it is like fuel to the flame of narcissism. Yeah. Big time. And it can be it can be horrible and it can be a horrible way to destroy a, a life and a yep. ministry or a marriage or a friendship. Yep. Um we it, it, there is such a thing as too much self-disclosure. There is such a thing as vanity that just, you know, we but on the other hand, um back to my trying to find the middle path. I think that one of the aspects, you know, again, thinking of the good shepherd, the good shepherd knows his flock. He knows them. Right. And, and he loves them and they love him. And in loving a person, there is a certain knowing that, that, that occurs. I, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be putting myself on display and, and talking about myself constantly and how great I am and how great my life is on Facebook. Or I think that's, how horrible you are. Or how horrible things are or how unhappy right. this is. You know, that would be possibly worse than the other. And, yep. but, but neither do I want to just simply be this anonymous figure, this anonymous voice that talks about God's great love. You know, that just doesn't, that doesn't ring right either. Nope. Nope. That's the and I think that that's the key, which which gets back to that uh, that point I mentioned earlier that we as pastors have to be asking ourselves the question constantly, why am I doing this? Yeah, and how do my hearers, how do my sheep hear this? Because I have varying levels of of let's say vocational responsibility to people. First yeah. of all, to my wife and to my children, uh, to my congregation, to my fellow fellow pastors, to my you know that that those circles kind of expand, and and my level of responsibility changes with those people. So if I if I am if my level of self disclosure on social media and I'm and I don't really intend to pick on that, but I'm going to mm-hmm. use that as an example. If my level of exposure on social media uh, is going to impede my ability to serve as a pastor or is going to interfere with my relationship to my wife, well, then whatever the reason that I'm doing it is, I need to, I need to rethink it. Well, and I and- have to be more – I would argue – I, as a pastor, have to be more intentional about every word that comes out of my mouth than anybody else. That's just a part of the office. It is. And, and, and part of the office, as well as being part of the Christian, being a Christian, but also part of the office, is just simply daily repentance. Yeah. Because we're there's some of these are gray questions. How much is too much? Yeah. You know, it, it is. I I would I would say that it is good to be a little self revelatory, but not too much self revelatory. Right. Um. You know. And I agree. And and I think I think it gives you a warmth that I think is nat. It, it seems natural. Uh, you know. I I find it hard to imagine. Although the Gospels don't give us Jesus, you know, sort of telling, uh, talking about his own inner moods or whatever. Right. Um. I, I find it hard to imagine that Jesus was a complete mystery as a human being to his disciples. It doesn't strike me as what incarnation means. Right. Um. Uh, but. 
uh, where was I going with this? Well, I'm just looking for this. I'm just looking for this golden mean. I think we just have to find a way to be natural about it. But we, oh, I was talking about repentance. We just simply have to realize we're going to always have mixed motives. There's, we're going to always, there's always a, a level, a part of me that does like adulation and does want to be in, even when people are talking about me in a negative way, they're talking about me, you know, and, and there's always going to be a level of, of my sinful heart that just desires that. And, and there's never going to be the, a purity of heart. So I just, we just simply have to constantly remember and, and remember God's grace and our need for it. Amen. Yeah. Um, in preparation for this little conversation, I uh, kind of went through some of my books on pastoral theology, uh, at, and it was interesting to me in looking at them. And I don't have a gargantuan library of pastoral theology books. I wish I did, but um, uh, but just to just to take one uh, is uh, CFW Walther's pastoral theology. That one that Christian News published. I don't know. 30, 20, 30 years ago, 1995. Mm-hmm. So I guess it was only 20 years ago. But, um, and I, and I realized that there are some translation issues with this. So, uh, if you want to tell me about them, you can write to feedback at the crux of the matter.net and tell me everything that's wrong with it. Having said that, uh, in one of the chapters, chapter 48, uh, on the personal life of the pastor, the way that the way that Walther did this is essentially you have a paragraph and then a commentary on each section of the paragraph. Um, and and let me read the paragraph because it's not long. According to God's word, an upright preacher should take heed not only to the flock entrusted to him and to doctrine, but also to himself. He should be blameless and irreproachable in his public and private life and an example to the flock in everything. He should not give offense to anyone so that his office is not blamed and should adorn the doctrine in all respects, shine forth in him that his whole household present the model of a Christian family. He should consider this important requirement for a minister of Jesus Christ and the choice of a spouse. Now, there's a bunch of scripture passages that are kind of interspersed in there as well. Um, But that essentially is the don't sin. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Version. Right. Right. Um, be good always. Be good always. Um and and I think that we need to uh we need to explore what does it mean as a pastor to live in daily repentance. Yeah. How do I demonstrate that? How do I model that maybe for my congregation? Um that I think is a topic that we ought to consider taking up at some point because I don't know about you, but I read a paragraph like that, and I think I need to go pump gas or something. Yeah. clearly <laughs> I don't qualify for that. Right, right. Um, and yet God has placed me in this office. It's not exactly my choice. Right. Um, it's, a, it's a gift. And so, so we, I don't know, there's, there's just a lot there. And, uh, and what does it mean to uh, live a life of repentance as a pastor? And how does that how does that interface? I don't know. You got anything more to say on this, Scott? You think we beat this I, dead I, horse enough? I do, I do, but I think that we have beat it okay. to death. So, but I think that we could revisit similar topics in okay. future shows. Okay, all right. At well, least, at le- you know, depending on the response, I, I mean, because I, you almost alluded to a topic I'd like to 
considered discussing, and that is pastors who are introverts, you know, and the, and yeah. the bias, the bias that our culture has for extroverts. And I think, that, you know, there's some books that have been written recently about introversion. And, you know, I think that's an interesting subject. And, and I think we probably have a fair number of our listeners who would r- resonate to it. So that that's my suggestion for a future topic. All right. I, today. Think, that's a, I think that's a good one. And by the way, if anybody else has any uh, topic suggestions for us, you can, uh, uh, find us at the crux of the matter dot net slash podcast. This episode is episode seventeen. Um, leave some feedback. Drop us an email. You can also find us on Twitter. The crux, the crux matter is the uh, Twitter handle, and uh, you can find us and all sorts of other social things as we have established already. So our uh, friend of the show for this week, since we're talking about pastoral theology and pastoral care is is Professor John Pless. John Pless has a, uh, uh, been a professor of pastoral theology at Concordia Theological Seminary for about 15 years, something like that. Prior to that, he was the campus pastor at University Lutheran Chapel in the Twin Cities for oh, I, maybe not quite 20 years. I'm not sure. He was there a long time. And uh, Pless has done a lot of writing and thinking about pastoral care and pastoral theology. One of my uh, favorite pieces that he that he wrote that that, uh, and I don't have the whole title, but uh, part of it is "Your pastor is not your therapist," um, mm-hmm. and that's a that's a piece that he did on confession absolution and what's the difference between uh, psychotherapy and pastoral care. Uh, so he's done a lot of great, a uh, lot of great work. Wrote a wonderful book on law and gospel not long ago, and other things. So he's our uh, he's our friend of the show for the week. You ever had him for class, Scott? No. Well, I mean, not not officially. I have heard him give speeches and lectures many times. Sure. Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. I he uh, he came to the seminary a number of years after after I was there and you were there. So we never yeah. had him as a, a formally as a as a professor, but I'm sure I've heard him speak a dozen times or more. Mm-hmm. So, Same here. Yeah, and I agree. Terrific fellow. Yep, indeed. So, so Scott, what's bringing you joy this week? Okay, well, um, I'm going to p- choose a book. Surprise, surprise. What? And yeah. And it's not one – I don't. I hope I haven't brought it up here before. I don't think I have. And it's not exactly tied to our subject, but it is uh, something that I really think that our listeners should be aware of. And it's – tell me if I've done this before because I've got a plan B in case. It's called <laughs> The Shallows. Okay? Nope, what the in, what, Okay. What the Internet is Doing to Our Brain is the subtitle. Oh, and interesting. It, it, yeah. It was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize, and it's the New York Times bestseller by Nicholas Carr. Nicholas Carr. He's a journalist. He's not a neuroscientist. He's a journalist. But he started. He wrote an an article for the Atlantic, entitled "Is Google Making Us Stupid?" And he took that article and expanded his research and made this book. And he's basically arguing that our screen culture, our pervasive screen culture, is causing our brains to change so that we are less capable of having deep, prolonged thought. <laughs> we're very good at surfing and you know we're we're developing brains that are good at things like video games or being a fighter pilot or reading right. a map, right. reading a you know spatial reasoning, but we're not developing brains that are good at lengthy and in-depth um and long-term uh logical thought and 
I think he's making a good point, and and it's changing our brain. You know, we believe that the brain now can alter according to how it's used, just like a muscle. And I think everybody should get this book. It's called The Shallows: What the Internet Is Doing to Our Brains. The Shallows. Well, and there's a lot of um, there's a lot of things that are interesting about that to me. Um, one of which is um, the implications that that has for preaching. Yes. Because, oh, absolutely. And uh, all oral communication. Yeah, and uh, and as is often our case, your your uh, pick has uh, forced me to change my pick. Oh. Uh, so congratulations, you've done <laughs> yeah. it again. Um, and so just again for our uh, for the sake of furthering this conversation, um, a, a a classic book on preaching uh, is a uh, is a book by a man named David Buttrick. And the book mm. is called Homiletic Moves and Structures. It's about eh, close to thirty years old, so this is not a not a new not a new book. But I think that he uh, that he hits upon something that is probably even more true today than it was when he wrote it twenty uh, twenty five odd years ago, uh, and that is our ability to uh, capture. And capture thoughts and our ability to process ideas is is changing. So mm-hmm. uh, one of the things, and it's been a years and years since I read it, but um, as I remember it, one of the things that Buttrick argues is that the hearer today, and today meaning 1987, the hearer can basically uh, accept three or four concepts in a typical sermon, and and that each concept can't be more than two or three minutes long. Mm. And so, so he argues that, uh, that really for most preachers, you're looking at having three or four or maybe five basic concepts that you're trying to get out and that you have a pretty, pretty limited amount of time to reflect on that. Yeah. So, and you need to be changing the subject or changing the way you're just talking about that subject. Well, right. I mean, and then, it, and again, this is this is Buttrick. You th- yeah, you think yeah. of it more as in, instead of as one long progression of mm-hmm. you know the classic law gospel, you know, kind of two part sermon, mm-hmm. or if if you prefer law gospel do missions or whatever, <laughs> right. um, law, gospel, law, which is much more common, I'm afraid, uh, that really forces you to have concepts that are much longer mm-hmm. and honestly are a lot harder to pull off yeah. and a lot harder to get people's attention with. So, yeah, that's a, a, a an interesting kind of sidebar, I think, to that same, that same topic. David Buckrick. Well- yeah, Nick and Nicholas Carr is saying that it's not just that our attention spans are short, right. as if it were a matter of habit. Right, right. But that our that that our brains are actually changing. You know, those of us who are so immersed in screen culture, our brains are changing so that it is more difficult, if not near impossible, for us to have sustained rational thought yeah. anyway it's it's a good it's a good book it's yeah. definitely definitely stimulating very interesting well good i think that'll uh that should keep us keep us going for the week scott you got any uh, final words for our listeners here none whatsoever none whatsoever and on mm-hmm. that word of wisdom we will bid you all good day farewell <laughs>